Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Grant and Danny have been doing a show for many years now. I don't know how many years. Um, I would guess, I would guess seven years, something like that. Uh, on 106.7, the fan. I'll ask him here in a moment. They join me, uh, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Uh, they are on two to six thirty every day on our sister station, 106.7, the fan. How long have you guys been doing the show together? Ten years on January. It, ten, years. ten years. Yeah. Wow. God, time really flies. Because when did 106.7 The Fan launch? 09. 09. So so Wise was doing the show for four years, and then you guys jumped in after four years of Mike Wise. So, yeah, Danny Wise. There was a little holding in Danny time, yeah. Yeah, on that timeline. I was on the beat initially. So, my first year in 09, I worked with kind of helping Chris Russell on the beat when he was our then Redskins beat reporter. Well, he needed it. He did. That's true. And he's a sweet soul, and he helped me a lot, too. Uh, and then for four seasons after that, from 10 through 13, the whole Mike Shanahan regime, I was on the beat. And then our first year together was January of 14. So I came off the beat and joined Danny in studio right when they were doing the coaching search that landed Jay. But, Danny, you had like two or three different kind of time windows in middays, right? Yeah, so it was a, a bit of a saga, right? So they uh, put Holden and I together for two hours. Wise and TJ did a show for a couple hours, kind of split the middays up. And then uh, I think it was in maybe December of 2011, uh, if that sounds right, where Holden and I did the full four hours. And then, uh, yeah, so then Holden moved on to, to Greener Pastures and uh, GP slid right in there. And we have been common law married ever since. <laughs> common law married ever since. Um yeah, well, uh, that's good. That's good because, you know, it seems like the two of you get along very well, um, despite some of the stories that I've heard over the years. Just kidding, of course. That's right. Uh, we all right, pretend so... well on the radio. We've, we will not <laughs> yes. speak and we've never hung out off air. <laughs> no well, eye contact ever. Uh, Tom, Tommy and I did a show together for eight years, seven and a half to eight years. He's been coming on my podcast for, I don't know, five years or whatever it's been now. And I asked him yesterday, I said, have we ever exchanged Christmas gifts? And he goes, never. And I, and then it, it occurred to me, and we've mentioned this before to each other, as long as we've known each other, I think we've spent maybe, other than Super Bowls, excluding, you know, trips, fights, Super Bowls, et cetera, where you're with somebody, you know, for an entire week or a long weekend, I don't think that we've ever gotten together more than like one time, maybe twice socially. And that doesn't even count like (laughs) holiday parties. And we've been trying to do it, but he's very, you know, he's very busy. He's a very important guy. Just ask him. Um, Anyway, (laughs) uh, so the level of surprise Sunday at, you know, 640, whatever time it was, local time, when Sam got pulled for Jacoby Brissett. Go ahead, Jeeps. I was stunned. Uh, I, I just all season long at different points early and midway through the year, they've had opportunities when he was playing poorly to pull him. Now, this is different than saying 
did he look good? Did the offense look good? Because it was a perfectly benchable situation in a normal scenario. But Ron Rivera is a passenger at this point. He is just here for a few more minutes, right? And the idea that he would kind of uproot the entire Sam Howe conversation and change the entire dialogue for the next several months into the offseason for this organization was pretty stunning to me. I guess the reason I was so surprised, and it carried over Kevin into the press conference, which I'm sure you've talked about on Monday, he has done everything he could all year to make it clear not only that Sam Howe's playing well, even when we're seeing at times that that's not always the case, but that he's the answer. That part of the reason he should still be here as the head coach or the GM or why he hasn't done as bad a job as people think is that they have found the long-term answer, that the search is over, that we could tell everyone to go home, we have unearthed the gem, we've got Sam Howell. And then on Monday when he's asked, hey, if you had to beat the Jets to make the playoffs, <laughs> would you start Jacoby Brissett? And the answer isn't still no, Sam Howell's the guy after you benched him. I, I was pretty stunned by that, i got to say. Yeah, you know, uh, me too. Sense, I-, I-, I was shocked. Uh, and for everything the Grant said, but I'd also add, when it hasn't gone well, and there have been times where you- you've had to address that, it's been, whoa, 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 young and experienced quarterback here. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be growing pains. One of the things that's driven me nuts about Ron Rivera, and there's a long list, I, I might add, but one of the things that's driven me nuts is, is this idea that we don't have access to any of the audio recordings. You know what I mean? Like we can easily go back and look at where these statements are contradictory, where these statements are different, the, you know, everything from we didn't know what we had to we definitely know what we had you know, in, in, within the span of a week. So, yeah, I mean, it was the idea that the whole point of this exercise, as you said, and trying to buy yourself some more time, was the development of Sam Howell. Part of that are valleys to go with the peaks in a meaningless football game. You pulled him for protection. You didn't pull him for protection against the Bills when he was sacked nine times, against the Bears, against the Giants either time. It was this game. Now, he wasn't playing particularly well. I actually thought he was playing poorly. But that's not the point. You said that wasn't the point, and then you contradicted yourself. That, I, I was stunned. Yeah, we're going to let him play through it. We're going to let uh, let him be resilient, you know. And like you said, it was not a game in which he was being battered. There were much worse. So I'll ask you first, Danny, why did he do it? I, I, I really – I've been struggling. We've been struggling to figure that out exactly si- since the game. To me, there is a – this is the typical end of a regime when it's all kind of come to a head and – years of bad drafts and bad free agent acquisitions, and the team's underachieving. We saw it with the end of Shanahan, saw it with the end of Gruden, uh, and we're seeing it now with the end of Rivera. You're just trying to make yourself look better. And he doesn't understand the permutations, I don't think, of, of his actions. He doesn't understand that, as the young kids say, this is not the flex you think it is when you take out your hand-picked guy that you, you've been pushing since, frankly, a week after the season ended last year after the Carson Wentz fiasco. You don't understand how actually big-picture bad it makes you look. I think they were just trying to be a little bit more competitive. He's thinking about the next gig maybe or, or you know, maybe trying to audition for the Harris Group even here. Who knows? To me, this was a short-sighted, we've got to try something. I think they were probably frustrated in game with that Howell was struggling, and he was, by the way. I mean, he started off decent, and then it got real bad. Uh, the missing guys, forcing that throw when he had a couple of guys open for an interception. To me, this was a short-sighted, we've got to be more competitive here, you know, kind of damn the torpedoes without realizing that I actually think it makes them look a lot worse. Yeah, Kevin, I think it's even more simple than that, honestly. I think that he wanted to open the conversation to, has Sam Howell held them back a little bit? And and it goes completely against what he's been saying all year, but now you're just you're grabbing at things as the ship's going underwater, right? So I think what it has started is a conversation about, 
Could Eric Bieniemy have been better? Could the offense have been better? Was the issue for Ron Rivera just that Hal didn't give him everything that they had banked on him giving him this year? And We could go through that and parse all that up, but I, I think in-game, it's not like they thought they were going to win the game. The best that Jacoby Brissett could possibly play is actually what you got, and you got within one possession, and it was a stunning turnaround. But there was no winning that game at that point. If you benched him coming out of the half or in the second quarter, you can convince me maybe that they thought they could win the football game. When they benched him, it wasn't even about that Sunday necessarily. So I think maybe it was one of two things, either opening up the possibility to more of a a how referendum than Ron being a culprit, or just possibly he's heard so much noise about how terrible the roster is and Dotson's not a good first-round pick and Terry McLaurin's lost his step and all these things that he wanted to make it clear. Actually, these guys can play. We're just not doing everything we need to maybe at the quarterback position. See, interesting, because I think I'm more with Danny, uh, although that's an interesting um, thing. That, you know, I want people to see what what my roster would have looked like. Sam's been holding it back. We've been in this development thing. But I want, you know, new ownership, and I want everybody to realize, hey, we, we can actually move the football and score points. It was a bit of a risk if that's what the, the motive was in the moment, because there was no guarantee Jacoby was just going to move the ball down the field twice and score two touchdowns. I think I'm with Danny in that I just think they got to the point where they were just very frustrated that the, he just was missing so much the pro, the progress that they were touting you know sometimes without us actually seeing it sometimes with us seeing it um, had stalled if not you know gone into reverse a little bit and I think it was just like Danny said, I he does, he's not a big long-term strategic thinker as in terms of what the reaction was going to be, and maybe he doesn't even care at this point. But I just think there got to it got to a point where where they got frustrated, and when I say they got frustrated, do you think Eric Bieniemy was totally on board with pulling Sam in that moment or not? Grant, you first. I would imagine that Ron counseled him, and he would if he said, no, I want to keep the kid in there, he would have done it. But, yeah, why wouldn't Eric Bieniemy want to see what the offense looks like with somebody else? If you believe like I do, which it, I'm doing a lot of Sam bashing. I don't think it's been all bad. I think for a fifth-round pick, in some ways, this has still been a successful first season. But yeah, over the I last agree. month, it has been ugly, right? And yep. in this particular game, and I just think more often than not, as they're playing much better defenses in the last four games here, He's not taking the layups. The off-schedule stuff is pretty much what they got, which he's fantastic at. It's the on-schedule stuff, the three steps, the easy throw to the the five-yard curl route to a tight end. The throw to McLaurin, his last throw, which got picked off in the middle of the field. On a three-step drop, he's got Terry on a stop route for a gain of five, where he turn around, fall forward at seven. And then he's got Gibson stand on the sideline for seven, eight yards out of bounds. And he just turns them down over and over and over again and finally throws an ill-advised throw that gets picked off. I think they've seen enough of that that Bienemy, I'm quite sure, would say, all right, let's just see what we got here for the rest of this game. Like, we don't need to bench him for the rest of the season, but I want to get Terry. I want to get Jahan. I want to get these guys looks, and, and let's see what it looks like with somebody else. So I would imagine he was absolutely on board because his offenses look bad, and this is his chance. This is his big yeah. year, and we're grading him out. Every game's a referendum on whether he can be a head coach. That was yeah. the thing I was going to add, Kevin, is, is that part yeah. of it, right? Because what was this year about? I mean, for, for the enemy, I, I don't want to speak for you. I know I was pretty stunned 
when he ended up coming here and you're hitching your wagon to a, a flailing regime and Rivera and the Marty party and uh, a neophyte fifth round quarterback. And you're going, what's the point of this? It's to demonstrate, as Grant said, that he can run his own off, run his own ship. That side of the building is his. He's going to be successful. And it hasn't been really since that Seattle game. So he needed some positive vibes, some positive momentum. And I think maybe he got it, honestly, with, with the backup quarterback coming in, slinging a couple touchdowns in short order, just to prove as a reminder, hey, my offense here is pretty good. And, and that's kind of where his motivations would lie. I, I would imagine he was fully on board with it. Yeah, the only thing I would say to that, Danny, is he didn't have any other options. We, we talked. We, oh, yeah, I, I talked sure. a lot about this during the off season when people seemed to think it was some sort of coup to get Eric Bieniemy to come in as an, an OC and an assistant head coach. He had no other options. Nobody else was offering him a gig, and maybe Andy would have taken him back. But it, but Matt Nagy was going to be the offensive coordinator, and and that's actually kind of a, the perfect segue into this. It, it's my next question because it moves in the direction of Bieniemy. Looking back, you know, over these 14 games, was his offense right or wrong for the development of Sam Howell? Man, if I had to pick on a, on a binary, I would say wrong, but very slightly. And, again, I don't think it's been a disaster. I don't think it's bad. I mean, because in principle, a young quarterback learning to throw is going to drop back and throw a lot, it seems like, in this system. But to me, there wasn't enough done uh, overall to kind of protect some of his weaknesses, right? you, you got to know going in, this is a guy that's going to take a million hits, that's going to try to make YOLO plays, right. that's going to hold the ball for a little bit, you know, that extra count to try to do something heroic. And there needs to be something done to sort of account for that and protect for that and maximize some of those strengths. So we wasted, I don't say wasted, we had half a season where he was going to obliterate the sack record by week 10, and that's not something you want in a young quarterback. I've seen too many David Carrs, uh, you know, sort of ruined in that, in that way. Uh, to be able to properly develop the guy. I I want more play action. I want more misdirection. I want more uh, sweeps and just different things to get the ball into the hands uh, of some of the playmakers to make it a little bit easier on how. That said, I mean, it's it's not as if it's been a disaster for Sam, and there's certainly been some growth and adjustments have been made if they were even a little bit slow. So I'd say if if you're you're forcing me down to say you've got to pick one or the other, I would say wrong, but not in in a major, you know, dismissible kind of way. I think it was the right way to develop him. I believe in young quarterbacks not being asked to throw the ball on obvious passing downs. I think one of the biggest mistakes made in football, you've seen it with the Jets and Zach Wilson. I could bring up a million examples. The Texans were doing it really early in the year with C.J. Stroud and then had an epiphany, is when you, you, you try to run so much and protect so much that you basically just you cut off a tiny little piece of meat to feed, a little piece. And next thing you know, it's third and obvious passing down, and it's third and seven. I kind of love the way they operated. Now, that doesn't mean that the enemy didn't have major flaws in the design, right? But the idea that you're going to go out and you're going to throw the ball a ton and mostly it's going to be around the line of scrimmage, I love that. Here was the big problem for me. It was twofold. Number one, Danny just hit it. It was the lack of early quick game stuff. The plan coming out to start the season, people forget the Arizona game because it was so long ago. The amount of drop back and just oh. we're going to hold up in that game, yeah. that was malpractice <laughs> behind this offensive line. <laughs> and if it was just that game and he, like, learned and moved on in the third quarter or, I don't know, the next week, fine. But it really wasn't until several weeks later that they really found their identity of what Sam can do and kind of coaching around his deficiency and his proclivity to hold on to the ball, Kevin. But here's the example I'll use statistically to make my point so it's not anecdotal. The number one quarterback in the NFL this year, an expected completion percentage, is Patrick Mahomes, the offense that he was with with Andy Reid. 68.7% of his passes out of his hand by an average NFL quarterback, according to next-gen stats, would be completed. 
Sam Howell is down around 30th. Now that's accounting for all the guys who have come in, like Bailey Zappi and, and thrown 11 passes. But, you know, if you take just starters, he's, he's outside of the top 20, down around like 63% of his passes. I just don't think they're early in the year were enough layups, right? The, the quick game stuff that I was kind of hoping would, would be their, their dominant offense. So if I could go back and change something, it would have been to better protect him from the early hits and sacks and to get the ball out of his hand faster. But the idea of, like, run versus pass and what they put on his plate, I actually think is a great way to develop a quarterback. If you're really good, like C.J. Stroud, it's going to work. You know, the question is, how good is the player? Right. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think they got – what was amazing is how many times they, they had really good results going to a – you know, not decreasing the pass attempts, but uh, changing the way in which they were throwing the football with a lot more quick game. And then, you, you know, a game and a half later, you'd see these pure dropbacks and him getting hit and him getting sacked and – there's not much productivity. I, I I don't know why at some point he didn't really understand that that wasn't something that was going to work. Whether it was Sam, which I think it was a big part of it, whether it was a combination of Sam and the offensive line, that was not the way to go. So, um, you know, right now, uh, back, actually, back to Sam for a moment. And Grant and Danny are joining us on the show, two to six thirty on one zero six seven, the fan, our sister station. So, do you think Ron and or Eric Bieniemy will yank him again in any one of these final three games? Oof. I don't think you can at this point. I think you – well, <clears throat> let me say this. It would be egregious now in the developmental part of the season where quite <laughs> literally results are irrelevant. Forget for a second that I like to shout from a megaphone on a rooftop that you know, trying to help people understand that losses are better than wins at this point, which doesn't mean they can't wrap their heads around this, that players shouldn't try hard. Everyone should do everything they can to win. But when they lose, you should be just as happy about it. Um, but that said, it's week 16. You're 4-10. and 10. You're going to bench the year one starter who we're trying to figure out if he's got a future to play the journeyman backup who is a free agent. I mean, just hearing those things without names would be outrageous. So I would say no, unless essentially that like they're being shut out late in the game and he's banged up or something. But he will start every game the rest of this season, no doubt about it. Yeah, I think they'll yank him again. Uh, I, I just think <laughs> I, I just don't. Yeah, I have so, I have so little faith in Ron Rivera's ability to do this at a high level. I mean, to me, Kevin, that sequence of just under five minutes to go, goal line situation, down two scores, where they use the full forty multiple mm-hmm. times over, let a let you know let a play get to the two minute warning before running it just shows you that they're in over their head. They're, they don't understand. They don't know what they don't know. They're completely overmatched when it comes to this. So, yeah, as, as I said before, kind of my paradigm on Rivera is the complete and utter inability to do a big-picture thing. It's which, you know, He's a wind sock. Whichever way the wind's blowing, it's, oh, they're mad. I should probably cut the kicker. Now we go for, for a few weeks to Chris Blewett. Oh, they're mad. I can finally get rid of the, the long snapper, you know, when it was a problem six months ago. So yeah, this is not somebody that, that really understands the permutations of things, doesn't understand that when you cut a promo telling everybody how amazing Carson Wentz is, uh, and he flails and stinks, that you might be responsible for that at, at some point. People might uh, play that back for you and ask you to, for some follow-ups. So 
I, I imagine they might do it again just because they're flailing at this point as they're sliding down the mountain. I actually think there's a chance they will. I don't think they should. I think they should do what right. they were doing earlier in the year, which is we want to see the young man play through it because we really believe in the young man. But considering the defense, the, the defensive teams they're facing starting Sunday, the rest of the way, it could really look ugly offensively and frustration could build. All right. Um, crystal ball time. Uh, I want to get to the Potomac Yard thing here in a second. But on – Hal and Eric Bieniemy. We have no idea who you know. The new GM, the new coach, the new regime. We don't know what it'll look like. Crystal ball it. What's Sam Howell's future in the NFL first, and then what's Eric Bieniemy's future in the NFL? Grant, you go first. Uh, Eric Bieniemy will be an offensive coordinator somewhere else next season. I'll guess Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin. Um, I, I don't know how that match goes because Tomlin likes to run the ball, but I, I think that. Um, that the enemy is good enough and should get another crack at this. And hopefully eventually, who knows, he'll get a head coaching opportunity. Sam Howell's going to be in Washington, and I believe uh, Washington's going to draft a quarterback. And I believe that that guy will start more games next year and Howell will eventually get opportunities to see, you know, Taylor Heineke when he leaves here to be in a situation where possibly he's better than, you know, a, a bad young quarterback. So I, I think he will start. A bunch of games in the future. I think next year the Commanders have a rookie quarterback that they have drafted high, who is going to start more games than him. Danny, uh, for for Bieniemy, I I think Grant what he said are probably the best odds. But for Bieniemy, I've got him as a head coach next year, and the reason why is because this pool of young offensive geniuses is actually pretty thin. There's a lot of guys that were interns like three weeks ago that are now kind of the hot candidates, and I think Bieniemy in the interview process and being able to speak you know, about what he was able to overcome and be able to do here in Washington might land him an interview where someone's looking for kind of an adult in charge to hold your building to a standard. So it's, I think it's a longer shot, but I do, I would bet on that. Uh, in terms of how I think he's the backup here next year, and he'll be one of those Gardner Minshew 1B kind of guys, you know, a guy that's going to uh, come in for a handful of weeks, it seems like every year, never the initial plan, but someone that's going to play a decent amount. And he'll carve out a nice career, maybe not quite the, uh, the Chase Daniel Memorial, uh, you know, multiple houses in multiple cities, uh, you know, backup tier with the greatest gig ever, but he'll play some. I just don't think he's going to win anybody's plan A. All right. Uh, let's switch subjects because the big story last week was the Leonsis uh, Virginia press conference announcing that the Wizards and Caps are going to move to Potomac Yard. First of all, do you think it happens? Danny, you first. Yes. Yes. I think it does. I, I think it's. The whatever expression you want to use, cats out of the bag, the you know the uh, the the two faces out of the tube here. I think they've gone too far uh, at this stage. Um, the only obstacle, you know, is Virginia State Legislature, which is obviously very unpredictable, and you know TBD on that. And I guess maybe a couple of uh, local Alexandriaites, Alexandrians, however we say that, uh, maybe objecting and maybe a last minute switch. But Virginia has been so starved my entire life uh, for a professional sports team. It's an area with plenty of money, as we know, and. A uh, pretty huge populace, and, and they have wanted one of their own for kind of civic pride. Been a bridesmaid forever, so I do think it goes forward. I think it definitely goes forward. Uh, I, I talked to someone who's pretty plugged in on stadium stuff as far as D.C. sports goes, and they said it'll fly through the uh, state legislature. Uh, well, I guess what I'm curious about more would have been the Alexandria City Council. They held up 20-plus years ago. But that's actually a terrible comp. People keep bringing up the early 90s. Now, that's a football stadium, and at that time, football stadiums were just that. I mean, they weren't these town centers with a bunch of other stuff. And you can actually make a decent case that eight to ten events a year in that location wouldn't have helped them that much. Now you're talking about 200 events at a 
multi-purpose arena. I, I hear people trying to make it analogous to, to when it fell through last time, and I don't think the two things are related at all, really. So I think it will go through. I mean, the whole city council was essentially sitting on the stage. We've had at least yeah. two, maybe three of those folks on the show already in support of it. I'm sure there's going to be a loud group of people from Del Rey, and, and those folks will be heard. But uh, I don't think that'll stop it. I, I don't think those people wanted the, the Amazon stuff that's over there now, and then those offices are open. I don't know if they wanted the Virginia Tech campus. Uh, I've heard it's beautiful. So uh, I don't know that they're going to be able to stop it. All right, so you're a Virginia guy, Grant. Uh, I'm a Maryland, D.C. guy. Danny, I, th- I know you were living near me there for a while. Uh, I forget where you're living now, and I and I don't know it, where you grew up, but it, this has been a big part of the conversation, you know, the whole the, the Maryland, Virginia, D.C. thing. I want to know what the two of you think about this move. So what's been stunning to me, Kevin, and actually, we've been talking about we need to get you on our show to talk about this. You need to represent all of Maryland, as I'm about to represent all of Virginia, you see. you got to speak um, for him, Kevin. Yes, you have to speak for the people. <laughs> what, what is unbelievable to me is how much Maryland hates Virginia, and I had no idea that that was the case. Uh, on our show, the feedback has been unbelievable. The idea that someone would drive across a bridge to get to the game three and a half miles away, it, it's like they, they're moving to Buffalo. I just can't believe it. When the Cap Center I grew up driving an hour and 40 minutes to as a child, Caps and Wiz, no issue. You know, FedEx Field, same thing all my life. Never thought about it once. Um, but I, what do I think about it? I would like them to stay where they are at, at Gallery Place in Chinatown. I, I, that's all I've ever known. I love going into the city to watch my D.C. sports teams play. I would prefer that they stay there. I completely understand why they're not going to. For owners, money is not in PSLs. And in TV deals, in, in Ted Leonsis' sports, money is in land and in real estate and in development. This business deal is a no-brainer. He's getting 4X. He's getting $2 billion to go to Virginia instead of $500 million in D.C., which isn't even to speak to the fact that the neighborhood, with all the people that aren't working there, has completely fallen off. And that while some people will say he has an obligation to D.C., which I agree with, D.C. had an obligation to him as well, and, it, and that part hasn't necessarily gone as well as he would have liked, I would imagine, post-pandemic. So I totally understand how we got here and what he's doing. I don't love that they're moving. If I could touch a button, the button would be to stay where they are. But as a Virginian who's never had a stadium in my state, who it'll probably be about the same amount of time for me, frankly, to go to one now versus the old one, I got no problem. I, I'm excited about the possibilities of whether it was in Virginia or if it was in Maryland just across the line, a brand-new state-of-the-art, first-in-class, best arena for hockey and basketball, best facilities for – you know, practices to help recruit players. I can't work myself into a, a frenzied lather about that. I'm uh, excited about the possibilities. Yeah, so I'd add, Kevin, I, I, I think I'm probably in the minority on this in, in, in a number of ways. Um, what Abe Poland did was remarkable. Now, he was able to do that because real estate prices in, in that neighborhood uh, in the 90s were, you know, 10 cents on the dollar compared to, you know, what they would end up becoming, right, as that neighborhood transformed. So while it was altruistic and an amazing thing he did, it was only possible because of the decay in, in, that, in that spot. Well, we're experiencing something very similar in, in that area and in a lot of areas in D.C., exacerbated by pandemic, exacerbated by the fact that people aren't coming to the office the same way. And frankly, if I may editorialize, a fairly incompetent and, and uh, laissez-faire city council and a do-nothing mayor that was very concerned with going to climate conferences in Dubai and uh, you know, trying to preen for the National Party instead of doing what probably needed to be done here and ignoring some pretty glaring things that needed some doing uh, when it came to both you know, cleaning up the city and trying to keep Ted Leonsis happy. 
So to me, the owner of a team, his job is to produce a good quality product that's competing for titles. It's never happened once in my life as a Wizards fan. So I'm hoping maybe a campus where you can go to practice uh, at the same time and have the elite performance uh, you know, type stuff for the players to, to enhance those sorts of things and have a state-of-the-art arena, maybe that helps them for the first time be good. I have no idea, but it's worth a shot to me. I do know that I'm over for my lifetime in watching them compete at a high level. They have, they have never won 50 games uh, since I've been alive, and I'm tired of it. So that's kind of my main motivation here. The idea that an owner has to be super civic-minded and this, that, and the other, I'd like it to be the case, but I also understand that to me the priority is trying to build a winning basketball team, a winning hockey team, which he's done a much better job of. So to me, I'm not really that upset. It's just a, you know, it's mostly a TV relationship for me anyway. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people that are really ticked off go to one or two games a year. I've got sympathy for guys that are season ticket holders from Silver Spring, Tacoma Park, uh, Gaithersburg, Points North, where it is a little bit longer. It's more of a challenge to get there. I do have sympathy for that. But this is a trade-off. I understand why it's made. Yeah, I mean, Grant, there are two things. One thing you said and one thing that, that Danny said. So I don't see it as Marylanders hate Virginians. There's always been, I think, more so on the Maryland side, this idea of, no, I'm not going across that bridge. I'm not dealing with that traffic. I'm not living there. More so with Marylanders than Virginians, I'll give you that. But I think hate is a strong way to describe it because, like, I've lived in D.C., I've lived in Maryland, much more so Maryland and Montgomery County in particular. If Ted had announced he was moving the teams to downtown Silver Spring or downtown Kensington or Bethesda, I would have felt the exact same way. I want it in the city. It's going to hurt the city badly um, because, and, and Danny, I'll just add, if you remember what Chinatown, and I do, what Chinatown oh, yeah. was be, before, it it's not even close to what it is now. Is there more crime in the area? Is there more crime in the city? No doubt. Uh, and I'm not denying that at all. The numbers, obviously... Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. are there but this was a very as many neighborhoods in the in the city were were much different than they are today um and and Abe's move down there really started that process of you know a lot of gentrification of neighborhoods that you know in the 80s and 90s you wouldn't walk in if you were uh, of a certain ilk during the day um and it changed the city entirely you're right though about real estate and it was a lot easier for him to do it now than it would be I'm just upset that it's leaving the city because I know it will hurt the city. Uh, but I think you're both right. I think that the city is as culpable on this um, as, as, as if not more than Ted. I just didn't love the giddiness of that press conference. I thought Ted was somehow, uh, in, in a way, very insensitive towards the potential damage he's going to do to not only that neighborhood by moving, but surrounding neighborhoods, neighborhoods like City Center, which never existed, Penn Quarter, et cetera. I mean, we go down to City Center for dinner at least once every you know six weeks. Love that area. And I think a lot of those areas, they've been suffering, no doubt, with you know everything that's come post-pandemic, but that that's going to be a big blow, him leaving. And I just didn't like 
the the tone. It was way too giddy for me. Let me ask you a quick question about yeah. that, Kevin. Because I, I first of all, it was definitely giddy. Like we've joked on the show. I mean, uh, Youngkin was shot out of a cannon. It was almost like a wrestling promo. Uh, the, the the woman that introduced him was crying. She was so moved by the whole thing. Correct, correct. But in fairness, that lady's been working probably twenty three and a half hours a day for the last I agree. eight months to have that morning. So I I, I get why she's crying. Uh, I do want to say really quickly, my number one issue with them moving, it, it's not that I like driving into D.C. to go to games, which is true. It is that I worry about that neighborhood, which has meant so much to me, which so much of my great memories are there, eating at restaurants and going to games and, you know, partying after the Stanley Cup. I, I feel that neighborhood right now has fallen off, to your point, from a few years ago. But what it was when I was a child compared to now is night and day, and I really worry if the teams pack up and leave. Like, what does that look like in five years? So we're in lockstep on that. I guess my question is when you say about the excitement, I mean, the, the whole press conference was for the, the first act for Virginia to sell that they're going to pull this off and why this is good. I don't know that they could have or should have struck another tone. I understand. It wasn't them. It was Ted, Ted more so than anything else. But wasn't I think, he still I think trying th- to accomplish the same thing? Yeah, In but, other words, but, that, that but, press conference Ted's, was not a it's Ted's it's team. It, the teams are Ted's. Grant and he understands the damage done by leaving, and it was not acknowledged except to say, you know, to to make that comment at the end, that he, hold me accountable, and then he doesn't even take questions after the press conference. Um, and I don't even know what hold him accountable means. I mean, <laughs> how do how do you actually hold him accountable? The damage will be done if those teams leave that particular area because the Mystics holding down. Capital One is not going to uh, somehow turn that area but, but around so or keep it even the same. Be, then do because the, I have this debate every night with my best friends, like on a text chain. We're doing the same thing, and and their point is kind of your point. Does he just have to stay there in perpetuity then, no matter what no. happens? Or, no, no, then, no. I just think I just think a little bit of an acknowledgement that this is a place that has meant a lot to him. Uh, you know, if you read that book, a business of happiness where he tells everybody and lectures everybody on how they can be happy. Um, you know, there are multiple quotes in there about what Abe did and about, you know, being the steward of, 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 a, of a city's team um, and the responsibility of, of playing in the city and what it's meant uh, to the city. I just think some sort of acknowledgement that this wasn't something that necessarily was his, you know, his choice going in. He doesn't want to hurt the city. And I I would have actually gone back at them a little bit because I do know, and I think you guys do too, that the city was, was culpable for this. They were neglectful. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they were bear hugging, you know, Josh Harrison company, um, while, you know, thinking Ted was bluffing about this Virginia thing. And, um, so maybe there was a little bit of, see, I told you so in him as well, but yeah, just for me, I'm I'm upset for the city more than yeah, anything else. Totally. And and still hope it doesn't happen, but I, I agree with both of you. I think that thing seemed pretty definitive to me. I, just, I viewed it almost like a Virginia pep rally in a way, and I didn't know if it was time or place, but I think your point actually makes a lot of sense, and, and I think I, I could come around to that, which is there should have been a little bit more when he spoke talk of what D.C. has meant and the disappointment that it didn't work out there. Because when I watched it, I, I was thinking, is he going to talk about Gallery Place Chinatown? And it kind of just turned into a, you know, a rah-rah, let's go beat the, the varsity team rival on homecoming. Um, so that's kind of what I thought they were trying to Well, the other, But it wouldn't yeah, have the taken other two, much to mention D.C. 
Yeah, the other part too, and I don't I, I I just the the constant we've we've built these big brands and champions and you know, he's referring to esports and he's referring to go go oh, teams and and the whole thing is just a little bit disingenuous. I mean, his basketball team's brand is that of a joke um for not only the league but people around the league. Um and they drafted Ovechkin, and they have won Stanley Cup. Thank God, because and and we. I think you guys have mentioned this. I'm sure in the past, all of the other owners in town have just gotten a complete free pass over the years because of Dan. Without a doubt, without a doubt, and and there's you know so a lot of the behavior too, Kevin, that we you know we sort of touched on and talked about, but the idea that you know that now his networks because it used to be NBC Sports Washington, that's no longer the case. You pretty much will see it's a, it's great to talk about pep rallies. That's what they are. It's a pep rally for the teams. The coverage it's what you paid. guys used to accuse us of being, which was completely <laughs> off and wrong. But this is actually true. Oh, you guys yes. were just pomp. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God, that got old. No, but um, but but Danny, you're right. I mean, I I think we all know. I mean, that is a pom pom waving network. Uh, right. And I so yeah, they understand where their bread's buttered, and and you know this yeah. is how they're delivering it to consumers, but. You know, there's got to be a time, hey, you're down 30. Maybe it's not the time to throw an alley-oop off the glass to Kyle Kuzma or <laughs> whatever it is. And, and cheer it. Here's an, yeah, yeah, here's another story, uh, you know, where we're, we're petting T.J. Oshie's dog or something like that. You know, like there's right. got to be a happy medium there. All right. I got to roll because this is turning into a podcast right now. I was just thinking um, that. I was like, this is a hell of a podcast. Yeah, uh, but I enjoyed it, and I, and I love you guys. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Be good, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Denton and I will get to some NFL buy and sell when we get back. Uh, Chris Knocky at noon. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 